Welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom. I'm here today with Philip Sipe, and we have another big topic to discuss today. In fact, today's top well, uh, today's topic and what we've already been doing all day is uh, so much that I am uh, I'm double fisting the beverages today. I've got coffee in one hand, and I have uh, uh, the the like truly alcoholic beverages in the other hand. Uh, it is evening, and I am going hard for caffeine and uh, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, the the uh, ever um, effective combination of uh, hyping yourself up with caffeine and then immediately ruining that effect by drinking alcohol. <laughs> yes, it, it is the the delicate balance of life. Uh, right. And going, going on in, in my synapses in, in microcosm, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about violence in men um, and uh, kind of masculine tendencies towards violence how do we curb this how do we personally deal with this uh is it real which is i think first of all where i want to start with well i think we've both done some of our own research and our own directions on this so i'm mm -hmm. just gonna quickly say my finding on this and then i'm gonna bounce it over to you uh and that is that uh are men in western or western influenced civilizations so this is accounting for colonialization more carry a carry a trend towards carry more of a trend towards violence than women do and that is yes more men end up in prison for violent crimes and virtually every society that we have data from that being said all of those societies have been touched by western colonialization so i want to dive a lot into that but first, I want to bounce back over to what your research is. Yeah, so, I mean, largely that's exactly um, what I found, is that um, there's there's sort of two questions at hand when it comes to well, almost any stereotype, but this stereotype in particular, uh, as what we're discussing today, is that there's always the question of... Um, a, does the stereotype exist at all? Which we've talked about things in the past, but the answer is no, <laughs> that it, the stereotype is is largely a fabrication. Um, but in this particular case, um, yeah, the answer is that yes, there is good data to suggest that um, men are significantly more likely to commit, uh, commit violence and violent crimes uh, than women are. Uh, so, then the question, the second follow-up question to that is, uh, given that it exists, um, is it, once you, once you have a phenomenon at hand, a social phenomenon of any kind, there's only two possibilities. It's either biological or it's environmental. Um, and if you think about that, that's really, it really has to be one of those two things. So then the question is, which one is it? Um, and I think uh, and talking about, you know, the, uh, uh, colonial expansions of uh, Western culture in particular, we're going to find some counterexamples to suggest that uh, maybe this is not a biological feature. Although, uh, we, you know, there, I think like with a lot of things, there's a mixture of stuff here. Uh, we've danced around it and we will dance around it yet again, but the effects of testosterone are present here uh, as increasing aggression and, you know, aggressive tendencies. But um, 
it's there are enough counterexamples of other cultures in the world in which men do not struggle with um, violent expression like this that uh, we cannot lay the blame solely at the feet of biology. So um, I think there's you know most everything is multifaceted in the world, but uh, I think here we're going to find that uh, the effects here are largely an environmental one. I agree, and I mean. This, um, yeah, this gets directly to where my studies, my studying in this kind of led me to, um, that along these same lines. And I, I think it's, this is going to be yet another topic where I, I, I really dive deep into my own frustrations with the field of psychology, uh, my degrees in psychology, and, uh, my profession is not in psychology, uh, kind of for this reason. And there is all of this stuff, because like, you know, my first thing is I wanted to dive into the, like, there are, there, there's all of criminology is really heavily focused on trying to work out the gender um, imbalance that exists in violent crime of why men so often commit more violent crime than women do. And the idea being that if you can identify that, then you can address a massive amount of violent crime going on. But all in the studies often, like you see a lot of studies landing on a biological answer, and 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 also like just a lot of like, well, that's just how it is kind of answers. But those answers often negate or ignore the fact that almost all the data we have is first of all just simply from Western cultures, uh, what we call developed countries. Um, but even outside of that, you really find hard data, difficult to dis to determine data on this because there are we have actively uh, globally marginalized and eliminated non-patriarchal societies. So most of this, all of this data is coming from patriarchal societies. Uh, my interest immediately became, became, okay, so where can I find some information, some data, anything relating to indigenous and native cultures pre-contact? And it's hard to find the hard data on that, but you do find a general consensus among a large number of uh, historians of, of specifically like in, in, in when I talk about um, the anthropologists and um, study like the, the folks who study indigenous cultures who I care about, who I'm referencing in any time are people who are indigenous people from those peoples uh, will do discuss a well before contact these issues we we see like evidence that these issues were were less of you know were, were, were not the issue that they are here today but again that's something that is so hard to really put a thumb on because our system of psychology and of study is so western centric and I, I think the only real relevant example we have today is Rinjava in Syria, where there's an effort to matri to 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 depatriarchate. Oh, I don't even know how to say this word that I'm probably inventing in my head right now. But how to how to disassemble a patriarchy um, and how to solve these issues very directly because Syria has has had so many issues with domestic violence and, viol and, and, and male perpetrated violence 
um, that is directly and clearly linked to patriarchal societies pushing a continued social structure of what is acceptable for men. And um, yeah, so that's like the only like relevant recent example I can find of anything. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important when trying to evaluate the potential of a biological solution here to evaluate like what would the biological solution be? Because, you know, there's not, as far as I, I and I'm certainly no doctor or uh, neurologist or whatever, but as far as I know, there's not like a significant enough neurological difference here to make it uh, that you're, um, you know, assigned gender at birth, being male uh, has some sort of like fundamental biological underlying reality that would make you more aggressive or more uh, violent. Um, so, and, and certainly I do not, like you can, and you can look at this in, in, a, in a really obvious way in the form of children who have yet to hit um, puberty in that um, there's no clear obvious difference you know, hugely in really young children on levels of aggression and stuff. Uh, it's only as they get older that the men and women, you know, uh, boys and girls, you should say, like, um, rates begin to separate. Um, and so then, you know, the one remaining biological factor, since it's not, it's not fundamental to the physical biology, the question is, does puberty have some effect on this? And this is where testosterone comes into play. Now, testosterone is known to be associated, and this is where you get into correlation causation problems, right? Testosterone is known to be associated, like like people when people are getting like aggressive and angry and whatnot, like there's some rises in testosterone and changes there. However, the question is then, does that mean that it's, ca it's causal? Is it that you got angry and your body started producing more testosterone? Or is it you produce testosterone causing you to become more angry? So the, uh, or is there a, you know, third fact, we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, the whole correlation causation implications about cause and effect. But fortunately for us, we live in the beautiful year of our Lord uh, 2021. And we can look up studies that have been done and have existed for a while. I believe this study comes from 2018 and we have, uh, the ability we have the uh pleasure of getting to uh see the effects of testosterone itself as applied to people who are who are going through gender affirming hormonal therapy uh so we have there is a study from 2018 called prospective evaluation of self-reported aggression in transgender persons uh, but basically, they took 140 people, 56 transgender men, and 84 transgender women, and um, they studied the effects of, in the men's case, uh, the um, levels of aggression as a result of testosterone therapy, or in the case of the women, uh, the levels of aggression on anti-androgen and estrogen therapy. Um, so what they found was testosterone therapy did not was not associated with an increase in levels of aggression in the transgender men and anti-androgen and estrogen therapy was not associated with a decrease in aggression in transgender women so and i recognize here that i'm speaking as a cis guy 
So uh, I would love to have uh, you know feedback from people that have gone through this, but this study at least shows that it's going to be really hard to start laying male aggression at the feet of testosterone because we have people who intentionally uh, add a significant amount of testosterone to their biology and they do not experience an increased level of aggression. So we have a problem here for the biological explanation in that if, if it were strongly associated with it, then, then we should start seeing transgender men getting more aggressive as they go through gender confirmation hormonal therapy. Uh, and so uh, I, think, I think the more that this gets studied, especially as the social acceptance of the trans community rises, we are going to, I think, have increasing confirmation over time that um, we don't, we unfortunately, uh, as men, do not quite get the pass that we just are boys and, and, and puberty does this to us and, and we're going to have to deal with it. it. It seems clearer and clearer that our, that the problem is cultural and environmental and not biological. Yeah. And I, you know, and one of the things that is, um, this is maybe a little bit anecdotal on this, but I have repeatedly heard in discussions of like men who are having low testosterone issues as they get older, it being said that heightened aggression is a common, or even if it's not phrased as heightened aggression, it's uh, other symptoms that are clearly related to aggression. So like heightened anxiety, uh, frustration, anger, like yeah, heightened aggression being related to, or like, you know, being a symptom of having low testosterone as you get older. So there again, we're running into some like, okay, if you're, you know, I mean, like a, like a common way of like knowing if your correlation is not a causation is if your correlation at a later point is like suddenly diverging for an unknown reason. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of where you're like, where, where we kind of fall into with that data speaking very like, I know that's not me talking on a study. That's just me introducing a uh, sort of kind of, uh, off the wall thing that I am aware of. All of this is kind of to say, um, I think all of this is important and valid, but I think the most important thing, and this is where like kind of my own personal, I don't know, life philosophy starts entering the mix. And this is to say that um, I can't really do anything about biology and how my brain is wired, but I can do something about my own behavior and how that behavior affects other people around me most importantly and specifically the people i am intending to form the later behavior of which is our kids like when we're raising kids when we're mentoring kids we're trying to form people into being fully adept adults um, which in that specific topic is of course as always going to be a little bit for later but uh the you know we, we we can't dismiss that with well it's biology you can't do anything about it which has been largely our societal approach to this issue well boys will be boys they're just going to be violent that's just how it is and i think that most certainly pe perpetuates that like in you know in, in any kind of a case if somebody is being you know if a kid is if if you're having disciplinary issues with a kid and your approach to it is hmm, he's just going to throw tantrums, that's just how it is, yeah, you're going to get more tantrums. Like, 
He's just going to steal things. That's just how it is. Yeah, they're going to steal things now. Like, if you don't yeah. address it. <laughs> and it, uh, brief aside here, because I can't resist since it's come up. Uh, I've always found the phrase boys will be boys to be interesting for a variety of reasons. Because we, we have... We have the this sort of uh, meme in our language of like, you know, you state a very obvious tautology of like, it is what it is. And you're just means like you have to accept it for the way that, for the way that it exists. And I think that people don't use the phrase boys will be boys to mean that because it's, it's not used in quite that way. And what I find interesting is a lot of the people that use that kind of phrase are often the people that are, um, incredibly against the kind of um you know kind of these these kind of discussions in the first place of of you know what are the cultural effects on boys and they kind of ascribe everything to biology and um you know usually you know have some sort of um you know bigoted attitudes against like say trans people and whatnot and what i find super interesting about that it's that group of people that tends to use the phrase boys will be boys is that phrase explicitly requires the hearer of the phrase to understand that there are two ways in which the word boys is used there when they say boys will be boys they mean boys as in people assigned male at birth will be boys people socialized to be boys and behave in the ways in which we socialize boys to behave like it requires the reader has the, or the, the reader the listener has to understand that distinction to understand what that phrase even means because on its face it's obviously tautological and, and silly uh and i always find it interesting that that phrase is so commonly used by the people that reject the entire idea of like um you know gender as a you know performative thing or as a socialized thing and that it's purely biological and it's all down to biology and yet they use phrases like boys will be boys that that in their structure literally require everyone to understand that that's not the case for the phrase to make any sense at all but random aside i couldn't i couldn't go without pointing it out because it just it's one of my favorite examples of um how language can betray uh certain uh certain things yeah and and you're right and i and, and i think you're right and i think we often say these kind of little cliche meaningless phrases off the cuff without thinking about them and like and look i'm not gonna sit here and be like no you have to deeply process anything you ever think of but if what you're saying is something that is uh foundational to the development of yourself and your immediate offspring, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe you should put a little bit of processing into what it means and what you want it to mean and what the intention of what you're saying is. Like, Yeah, think... and obviously no one wants to be paralyzed by a constant need to deeply deconstruct and evaluate everything that they've ever thought and believed. Like That would obviously be a miserable thing to have to do all the time because fundamentally like without getting deep into the threads of epistemology, like fundamentally like absolute certainty is not a thing that you get to have, but like, it, it, you know, there's a lot of cases in which it, it just can't hurt to do it every now and then, you know, like 
probably should check yourself every now and then to make sure that you haven't gotten any like bad ideas in the meantime since last you checked uh i i generally my experience is that people people's failures are not are not that they're too introspective <laughs> yeah that's not true I, I want to be clear that's probably true for a very small subset of the population people maybe like have like an obsessive compulsive like need to like introspect or something i mean i don't know i don't know enough about you probably know better than i would to be honest uh but like i assume that there's someone who introspects too much maybe it's me maybe i'm the problem uh, i i, I but, definitely uh, yeah i, definitely I just i just don't you. find a lot of people that it's like introspection is is they just do it so much and it's a huge problem <laughs> I, I I definitely know one in particular. And he knows exactly who he is, and I know for a fact he's listening. And he's like, "Damn it, Tommy!" Yeah, we're talking to you specifically, person who knows who they are, Kevin. Um, I don't know. I don't know who it is, but imagine if his name was actually Kevin, though. He'd be like, "How?" <laughs> It never hurts to take a stab at it. Just uh, blow we, someone's mind for a brief moment. <laughs> we just have to get bigger as a podcast, and then eventually we'll reach a Kevin, and who will be <laughs> five years from now listening to this podcast? Like, my God, how did they know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have met you somehow, so it'll still make sense that like you would say like, "Oh, there's a person I know that listens to the podcast," and. <laughs> and now every kevin i meet i'm gonna be like aha i have the podcast for you um but yeah no i mean and that's uh i i think that kind of like you know this dives us into uh so we know for a fact that men are more prone to violence in our in the current setting of which we are in men are more prone to violence than women are we've got pretty solid reasoning to say that men aren't guaranteed to be violent because a lot of men are capable of existing through their whole lives without being violent uh bad people who are victimizing others like men exist being good that's real like and this is something that we often run into when we start talking about like bettering ourselves as masculine presenting people you always have a specific kind of subset of folks who are like whoa if we start diving into this then like we're just going to be attacking each other and everybody's going to get attacked and like it's there are good people out there the world is full of a lot of good people good masculine presenting people there are lots of men who have never even processed all of this and thought about all of this but who also have a pretty good understanding that victimizing and uh, committing violence are bad things like that's a human reasonable thing to reach so then the yeah. question comes like how do we foster that within ourselves and i think that takes a lot of process a lot of just like everything else we've talked about here it takes a lot of an analyzing what you do and i mean i'm you know and i'm trying to avoid some of the parenthood discussion because i i think i have a lot more to talk about in this one in the future episode but my parents this was something that they were very direct and specific about both of my parents were and um it was something that was a big part of my growing up from a very early age was making sure that i didn't resort to violence as an answer to my problems now, at the same time, I was also taught self-defense. Uh, my dad, you know, taught me how to, yeah, how to physically defend myself and uh, 
how to, you know, aid my community, how to defend my community, all of that kind of stuff. Like, we weren't, uh, you know, we were not, I don't have a bet, like, we weren't pacifists by any means. Um, neither of my parents are, are or were perfect, completely nonviolent people. Um, but they made an, a very concerted effort to make me understand the realities of violence, the negative effects of violence, and why it was something that I should not perpetrate, seek out, or inflict. And I think, like, part of that, too, involves uh, a lot of our, like, a lot of things that we force onto kids that, like, my parents just simply refuse to force on me. And that's, like, you know, you gotta go play, like, I don't know, military play styles and the way that we kind of push boys to play we push boys to play rough we push boys to fight we push boys to play fight imaginary fight and i am not saying there's anything wrong with that like hey i did that as a kid i you know i'm, I'm cool with that happening as an organic part of play um but when we push it when we make that the answer to everything and as like the centric part of who boys are that's when i think it becomes a problem yeah for sure I, yeah, I have a lot of thought about that, but it's hard to disentangle them from the, um, the parenting aspect, but I will say, I think like a lot of this, a lot of male violence is in part, uh, I don't have like a really good study to back this up, uh, per se. It's just an intuition that I have, but I suspect that a lot of male violence is downstream of anger. Um, you know, violence, you don't run into very many people nowadays who like were taught as kids, like, yeah, just beat up the people that aren't like us. Like, that's not a very common or very culturally acceptable thing to say, which is good. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's still, there still is a lot of violence. Um, and the question is, you know, okay, well, everyone's taught, don't do this. Why do people still do it? A lot of, a lot of violent crimes are crimes of passion. Like people get really angry and they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to process it. They don't know how to control themselves and they fly off the handle and do something incredibly harmful. Um, and I, I think that, you know, without going back and rehashing a lot of the stuff we talked about in the anger episode, um, you know, it is true, I think, a lot of times that, like, um, we both socialize uh, ourselves to think that violence is fun. Um, you know, a lot, man, just like every video game is like, violence is the answer to your problems. Um, in fact, that's, that's why one of my favorite games uh man i don't this game is old enough now that i don't know if it's like past the point where i need to give a spoiler warning type of thing but like one of my favorite video games is undertale and i will attempt not to spoil it over much because honestly it's a game that everyone should play in my opinion because of exactly what it is but like the entire point of that game is like you can solve your problems with violence and it's often easier to do so but does that result in a, in a thing that you're happy with? Are you, you know, what, 
you we it, it it's kind of it's kind of an interesting microcosm in that like because it's framed as an rpg and culturally rpgs are seen as like you go around you kill all the random encounters and you gain levels and you get stronger and you beat the boss and it's great like that's how the rpg script goes and if you follow that script there's a very shocking moment in the game in which you realize you've been doing it all wrong and you've hurt a lot of people and there's that moment of like oh i just accepted the framing of this and that it should be this and then someone came and said like no obviously it's not that and you just go like uh um and it really gets you thinking about like in what ways are you is you know your um you know is your life like that that you accept certain things and the way things are framed and what certain solutions are to certain problems and uh you just have have never taken the time to tell to to see like oh is that actually the case yeah a hundred percent and i mean and we see this so common in so many other places i personally experienced this when i was in media school and uh we in a lot of in our screenwriting classes it became a common issue of my instructors that every single story we would write would be violent conflict in relation and it would like every conflict was a violent conflict and it was you know one, one of the frustrating things about teaching media production and i would imagine is a frustrating thing about teaching really any kind of uh creative art is that when you have a class of 20 kids and you ask them all to hey make me a one minute video they are all in every class and throughout your semester and your entire career going to produce some stuff that's very similar and you're going to see some very repeated things come up. I mean, like, I've definitely had creative writing professors who asked me, like, hey, don't write about this subject because I'm just sick of hearing it. Like, I remember I had a uh, teacher who was teaching us how to, like, write a persuasive argument and they were like, just please don't write about legalizing marijuana. I'm pro-legalizing marijuana. It's not that I don't want you to write a paper about legalizing marijuana. I'm just sick to death of reading papers about legalizing marijuana. And this was these instructors' position about videos. If it was like, you all make your conflicts be violent. Every conflict is always a violent one. Oh, so-and-so did something and now I have to kill them. Like, and it's, and, and they, they went out of their ways to show us just kind of like how unreasonable and how unattached to reality that is. Like, that's just not what reality is. That's not what your reality ever has been or ever will be in any situation and context there are other conflicts in our world. We live those other conflicts every day, and it is more interesting to talk about those conflicts. But we see that same issue, Well, and the reason that that issue exists is because that's what we see blown up on the issue, like on, you know, in Hollywood, in uh, major media, every film is a violent conflict. Every video game is a violent conflict. Everything we, we ingest as media revolves around violent conflicts, and that's a problem. Um, and, and I think this is also something that, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself on a little bit of a stretch, I think, in saying this, but I think it's something worth bringing up. Because um, when we talk about the colon colonizational uh, kind of back effects of all of this violence in men in our culture, we see this ramp up as we go back in history. Is this, like, the Western male 
uh, glorification of violence was so extra and next level. And I mean, when we look at the real causes of World War One, one of the frustrating things when you're learning history is trying to understand why World War One happened, because unlike most wars, there was no real resource issue, no political ideology. There's nothing really to point at and say, ah, that's what caused World War One. One of the only things that everyone had in common was this glorification of combat, that it was wow, it'd be badass to go fight in a big giant war and die in it. Let's go do that. And it's just rich men playing Undertales and never reaching the twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that I feel like was like the, uh, like, um, like I remember, it, I think it was my sophomore year in high school, we read one of those classic books that you read in high school, like All Quiet on the Western Front. And I feel like the post-World War I literature was like a lot, a deconstruction of that whole thing of like, everyone talks about culture. And we still, to this day, still do some degree of this with, uh, with the like almost, almost religious like, like reverence of the military and stuff. Um, but there is a, um, you know, like all the, the, that world war one literature stuff has been like, they, you know, we were told that there was this, you know, that glorious war, or, you know, you go off to war, you'd find your glory, you'd come back, you know, a strong soldier having conquered for your country. And I just watched all of my friends die in horrible ways. I got my feet rotted out of my boots, uh, <laughs> by uh just me standing there in fetid water for weeks on end and everything was just miserable and awful and then it was over and nothing changed life didn't get better we didn't get more resources like i didn't get you know uh a, a big beautiful house on top of a hill like i just suffered a whole lot and then what and i feel like that's that's been a lesson that we keep learning over and over and over again and it's a very interesting question of like why do we keep culturally having this massive like for lack of a less crude term like this massive hard on for war uh and violent conflict when everyone who goes to it and comes back says yeah it sucks it's fucking awful and I would avoid doing it at all costs for the rest of my life if given the option. Like, that's a huge red flag. Like, why do we keep doing this to our mostly men, although also women, you know, nowadays? Um, it, it, it's baffling to me sometimes. It, it really is. And I mean, like... <laughs> And an element of this, an element we understand, like an element that is so old that it is considered a historic context that we have to take into account when we discuss history, is that soldiers who fight and die in war do not, as a generality and as a commonplace situation, do so for the purpose of the state that sent them to war. And 
And what I mean by this is essentially once you get into conflict, you are no longer fighting for your patriotism, your country, your nation, your ideology or anything. You become you immediately, very rapidly, very quickly become fighting for the person next to you. And this is something that you hear from veterans who come back from Afghanistan and Iraq and everywhere else. It's something that you that is so deeply understood in history that we know that like when we look at like you know when people say well this war wasn't about this because x soldier wrote this we know that we have to contextualize that by understanding that well yeah no most foot soldiers in most wars are not actually fighting for the ideological principles of the state they are fighting for the people next to them and that is also such an enormous red flag. If you are doing something and in the minute you send people to go do it, they immediately, like they're doing it for a different reason. And it being that very specific survivorship reason. Um, yeah, the way we glorify war, glorify combat, and see war and combat as an answer to problems is absurdist. It doesn't solve things. We've, we've just spent 20 years in Afghanistan, and the general consensus on the ground and involved with the horrific things happening right now is that we are currently right back in the year 2001. We gain nothing. That violent, that violent conflict-oriented approach didn't work. And and that's not... And again, this isn't to say, like, I'm not a pacifist. It's not that I think that conflict is, you know... I'm I'm not one of these people who thinks that you should never, uh, you know, that nobody should ever resort to conflict. I think conflict is afflicted upon people, and people have this self-determinative right to defend themselves. And I think that becomes some a lot of complex issues. But the glorification of war as afflicting war upon others as a way to achieve men's means is false. When you start seeing that as false, all these other ideas of violence being something to ascribe to and violence being something to put on a pedestal in our society all start falling apart. And when you combine that with the fact that colonization, the westward expansion of, the, of, of America during its period of, of, uh, of, of, of that... Of, of all of colonization, all of the ideologies behind colonization relied upon violence. Violence is not the driving mechanism behind colonization. Violence was the necessary mechanism to make it happen. So you had to teach men that violence was this important thing that needed to be revered, and I think then you start kind of falling down the path of how, where we started and how we got where we are now. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the full impact of colonialism on, you know, the world and men and everything in particular, it, you know, like, and all the, like a full analysis, I shall, I'll just say, of colonialism's impact is something that you could spend a lifetime studying. Um, Suffice to say, if you want a fairly good, succinct uh, um, summary of, and you really want to dig into it, um, of just how deep that rabbit hole goes, uh, I can't, I can, it's a slog. <laughs> uh, not, not because it's dry, but because it's unfortunately incredibly 
violent and awful and you just are constantly like okay well it's a good thing we're past that and then you move 10 years forward and go oh again and then you go okay well at least we got past that oh again and just in a slightly different way every time and it's um the book is um open veins of latin america it's an excellent book um it goes over the uh history of uh central and south america uh and the ways in which colonialism has uh, repeatedly extracted and beaten down the natives of those areas uh in favor of um western interests um so you know i i completely agree you know i think a lot of times we are uh consciously or subconsciously like socializing our young boys and our, our young men to have this sort of reverence and just love for violence so that they will go and have this like, incredibly romantic idea of what war is like so they'll be eager to sign up and then they get put into it where they can't say no anymore and it's too late and they're stuck there and it's either kill or be killed and at that point what other choice do you have and that's exactly what the people that benefit from war want yeah and and, and that that last bit is very important it's very important to point out that manufactured consent is such a big part of this uh families who raise children are not, you know, your, your parents didn't raise you with, nobody's parents raised them with an idolization of violence intentionally, and nobody did it with like, you know, nobody's over here like rubbing their hands together like, I'm going to t create tiny colonizers. Like, nobody's doing that. Nobody is saying anybody's doing that. Manufactured consent is such an important part of this and is such an important part thing to study about all of this, to understand the the ins and outs of manufactured consent and how it is worked throughout our society of the state and certain uh, authoritarian elements of, of Western civilization, you, you know, making us feel super cool about super certain things and being like, yeah, that's awesome, and not seeing these underlying threads that connect these things to the things that they are like no we're not saying that yeah you know i, I can't stress this enough we're not saying that anybody out here is evil for having be believed these things as a kid nobody is evil for having taught these things your parents aren't evil you're not evil systems are composed of individuals but systems are not it's not individual. It's it's not an attack on a system. Isn't it? Isn't an attack on the individuals who were raised in, within that system. Yeah, it's very easy to see a way in which, like you know, something truly very negative, um, at at a you know broad level, um, you know, came down and 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 can be associated with very positive memories, like, um, you know maybe you have very fond memories of wrestling with your brother and you think like oh well that's kind of violent and these guys are saying like violence is bad and and like we socialize little boys to for violence to be out of mission it's bad that i wrestled back no like no one's saying it's bad that you wrestle with your brother you know no one's saying that it's bad that you played 
well, maybe it's a little bit bad that you play cops and robbers, but uh, uh, it, no one's saying it's bad that you like, you know, per, uh, played Halo or whatever. Like the the point isn't that you're bad individually for that. The question is like, um, you know, do these things have a systemic implication and how can we address those things going forward? Um, because you just it's just not a valuable thing to be like um no one no one individual is responsible for uh, a completely endemic thing um and it's just not a useful way of thinking about it i don't know how else to to put it i'm a little bit like i feel like i'm waffling but at the same time it's like i, I want to make it really clear that you know it's it's not about like like part of the problem is we we get we we have harmless or seemingly harmless you know um, events in people's lives that have very positive associations and are normal parts of human behavior but that do in the background reinforce certain things that are negative. And that's exactly how they continue themselves is by, because then people go like, oh, you're saying that these, all these very positive memories I have of doing X are bad and I should feel bad. Well, no one's going to do that because you're not going to convince me that all the times I bonded with my brother over playing or whatever are bad. But that's exactly how those kind of reinforcements sink in because they associate themselves with good and harmless stuff and then they let you use that to justify worse behaviors and that that's the thing that i think like you have to be careful about in that like no we're not saying that you're bad for you know playing with your brother or whatever but we do have to be careful about what we are um we do have to be at least reflective i should say about what we participate in and how that might affect us mentally and how that might make us think about like what that means for how we think about other things yeah a hundred percent um so this pretty much taps out all of the things i had to talk about on this subject uh if we missed anything on your list no i think that's that's pretty pretty well covers it for me Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we, we had a lot of important things. This, I think this, uh, subject does fall really closely in line with our very first subject being anger management. Um, I, I, you know, then we, we also acknowledge that that was going to come up in a lot of other things we talk about. Um, beyond, yeah, I, I, but I think we've, you know, really dived down some important things on kind of processing, thinking about this stuff and solving it within ourselves to just generally, see the outcomes in our life that we want to find. It's not about becoming a good or bad person. It's not good and bad people. It's just, yeah, assessing these things. Um, I'm going to give a, once again, quick shout. I'm going to, nope, I'm not going to steal yours. I'm going to give a shout out to Grand Gentleman in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's a fantastic organization that they uh, they donate suits to uh, 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 black male presenting 
folks who are graduating high school. They uh, provide all kinds of college, uh, the word I'm looking for, scholarships. They provide all kinds of uh, college scholarships to young black men. Uh, They do excellent work in the community. Uh, Tomorrow, which is going to be yesterday when this episode drops, they will be doing a uh, back-to-school drive. They do all kinds of these things, but they've been doing back-to-school drives. We just did a back-to-school mutual aid event today. Um, But yeah, if you can find Grand Gents on uh, any social media network you want to, that's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Grand Gentlemen, they're usually at Grand Gents. Find them, follow them, see the things they do, and help some folks out. Do you want to plug anybody? Uh, yeah, I'll definitely uh, plug Red Dirt Collective again, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, you mentioned that we had... Um, a mutual aid fair, and indeed we did. It was a great success. I believe we handed out uh, school supplies, groceries, clothes, among other things, to um, approximately, I think our count, final count was uh, in the upper 200s, uh, 260, 270, something like that. Um, I believe on social media, we've been playing it careful and saying 250 plus. but uh, it's been great. Um, a lot of people got things that they needed, and I'm uh, uh, super proud to be a part of such an awesome organization. Um, it was uh, just happened as of time of recording today. Um, and so um, definitely kind of coming down from the high of that event. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, same. Um, and, and I think it's important for, you know, all, all of our listeners out there, because I've, I've been noticing that we're kind of expanding our listenership outside of the Oklahoma area. Um, look around, see where organizations are doing this stuff, link up with organizations in your own community who are doing mutual aid events, who are doing whatever they are doing that is good for the community, doing good things for the people within their own community. Um, link up with them and help folks out. We've you know, Things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, and we've really got to band together and uh, uh, you know do the work in our communities. If there isn't anything happening in your community, start banding together with some neighbors and start making it happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'll say, like, if you have a local project of some kind that you're aware of or a local community group of some kind that you're aware of, that you want to shout out here, uh, let us know. Uh, we'll look into it and, you know, uh, you know, give them an appropriate shout out because, um, you know, we want to sort of signal boost uh, all these kind of organizations that are doing these awesome things. 100%. And you can reach out to our Facebook page that is uh, Molding Masculinity on Facebook. Um, you can also reach out to me individually on Twitter at HandgunsPod on Twitter. I'm uh, Tommy Ozarks there. Um, yep. So, uh, thank you all. Have a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, or night, or whatever time of day it is. Thanks. <laughs>